Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. For today's episode, we're going to spend some time talking about these direct-to-employer arrangements that over the last couple of years have really started to take off. It's no secret that healthcare spending has really increased for many employers to the point where employers can't afford to even provide healthcare insurance for their employees. I was reading a recent article and the cost of healthcare was the number one issue impacting small businesses. Now, of course, today with the rise of inflation and managing our workforce, that of course is a is an additional challenge being placed on particularly small businesses. But health insurance as well continues to rise. And when you couple that with some of the inflationary pressures we're seeing right now, it continues to put a lot of pressure on our employers. So the whole concept of creating a direct contractual relationship between the hospital or the provider network in a community and the employer within that community has a tremendous amount of benefits, not just in terms of reducing costs, but also being able to streamline the services and create a great partnership between the healthcare provider and the community employers. So joining me today, I have two wonderful guests, Brad Olson, who is a senior leader in charge of managed care services for a large Midwest health system, and his colleague, Brittany Bart, who is in charge of business development and corporate liaison for the corporations and the businesses within their community. Brad and Britt, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, so Brad, maybe we could start with you. As we, we think about these direct-to-employer arrangements, they can take a lot of different structures. There's a lot of different types of services that are out there. As you've started to to structure some of these, what are some of the the key structures or contractual relationships that you're seeing that have really been beneficial to employers within your community? That's a great question. I know that in a number of different opportunities that I've had to, to lead organizations in the last 20 years, I think it all comes down to the value equation. That value equation between cost and quality is very important. As you evaluate where do you want to, where do you need to meet that employer? Sometimes it's a relationship with a network that has an exclusive arrangement for a DT for that employer. Sometimes it's a relationship with a TPA. Sometimes it's working directly with the employer themselves. And it can it can look like a number of different things. It can be a center of excellence, it could be a complete replacement program, it can be a PCP um, alignment of, of some sort with that 
that, that employer. So it can look and act in a number of different ways. I think the main thing to be thinking about is how do both entities come together to produce a better value equation that they that they recently or they haven't had in the past. Right. I, I agree with you. And, you know, when you when you think about the needs of the employer, you know, the biggest need right now is for the employer to provide strong healthcare insurance coverage for these for their employees, but to do it in a way that is cost effective. And a lot of times when the employers are, are thinking about providing those services, I mean, you know, in some cases, those costs can be 30% of their overall budget, if not a little bit more. So when, when you're seeing these contractual relationships, are you seeing a, you know, a value proposition around being able to reduce that premium dollar for the employer? Or is it more around improving the overall service that's occurring? I believe it has to be both. I believe there has to be a tighter connection and a relationship so that employer doesn't feel like they have to go through the nuances of a large insurance organization. So there is the collaboration. It could be where an ID card has the logo of the facility or provider. That way it makes a deeper connection. It removes the, where do I go for those services? I also believe that it has to um, be cost-effective. If it's not cost-effective, there's really not a need to make a big change on where that employer historically has received their health care, if that was an, a large national carrier or a, a local carrier. Uh, I think the, the main thing is to create that value equation that both parties lean in and create something is that may be different, maybe a little bit new, but it may provide a 10 to 15% reduction in their healthcare costs, but it also provides predictability for hopefully years to come. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So, you know, I, I would think that at least initially, the focus is on maybe reducing, offering some level of a discount of, of particular services. But, you know, as we've as we've talked about many times on this program, the real benefit for, for you know, for, for patients and for providers and, you know, even for folks in the community is to put in place some type of a value-based arrangement. So are you seeing a lot of your direct-to-employer contracts, are, are they all based on, say, reducing or offering a discount? Or are you also incorporating some type of a value-based component where you're actually sharing in some you know, potential savings of reduction of cost? Our organization didn't go the shared savings route. Uh, we preferred to, to work towards more of an exclusive or a tiered arrangement. What we wanted to do was give all that savings back to the employer. And in return, we got the market share growth or the direction. And so from that standpoint, there is a number of ways to be able to do that. I believe if if you're getting the steerage, meaning the system, the hospital system, maybe even the providers, clinically uh, integrated network, if they're getting the steerage, you don't always have to get a shared savings component out of that. Now, if it was a limited steerage and it was a limited um, relationship with the employer, you may want to build in some pay for performance opportunities that could share in that reward. However, we just haven't done that at this time in our direct to employer relationships. As I was hearing you talk about that, it reminded me of a, of a conversation that I had and a project I had not too long ago. We were working with a health system in the Midwest and we were putting together a direct to employer arrangement. 
And this particular health system had a fairly large provider network that was obviously incorporated in with the, the hospital. And when we, we built the arrangement, we had to offer, I think, at least a 10% discount in order to make it worthwhile for the, for the employer. And I can remember a couple of the physicians coming to me and saying, well, why would I want to accept a discount when I'm getting the full rate from the insurance plan? And really the value proposition is around what you said. If you're able to create a stronger relationship with those employers and be able to pick up a little bit of volume, for the most part, kind of utilize what we call the domestic network, then it's a volume play, right? In, in the relationship. You're absolutely right. I think in any organization, as they go through the evaluation stage of a direct employer, you have to look at your payer mix. Payer mix comes into play into all these equations. For a physician organization, we've taken the position to keep our physicians whole. In the hospital side of the equation, we've taken the position to, to take the reductions on the hospital side. That way, the physicians remain engaged throughout the life of the relationship. They put those members maybe um, in the same position on their panels. They get maybe even a little bit of a special attention with a navigator or a, or a call-in um, phone number So they, if they need some support. And then the physicians don't see this as a deterioration of their panel or their revenue. The hospital, though, can help to migrate their payer mix maybe into a little bit favorable position. Boy, that's a great point. And, and I'm really happy to hear that, that that's the way that you structure it with your, with your providers, because I do think there's a little bit more flexibility you have on, on the hospital. And plus, I think it shows just the partnership that you have between the hospital and the provider network to really offer a strong service to, to the employers. One concept I do want to get your opinion on is um, th this whole thought around value congruency. And, you know, as I was working with a, a number of organizations around the country, particularly clinically integrated networks, one of the big frustrating areas is that these clinically integrated networks, which are provider networks and hospitals coming together with the idea that they're, they're managing together cost and quality. And most of those that have been doing a good job with that have really reduced the cost of care. And the challenge that many of these high-performing clinically integrated networks have seen is that as they are reducing the cost of care, that cost reduction isn't necessarily being translated back to the employers in the way of lower premiums. In some cases, the insurance plans are actually reaping some of those benefits and opportunities. And unfortunately, they're even offering higher premiums to, to the employers. So this thought about value congruency, where you're able to directly link any type of shared savings, reductions of costs that are occurring from the network, and having that seen as a, you know, as a true benefit to the employer is something that's really important. How is that coming into play within your direct-to-employer strategy? Another great question. What we've done and been very intentional is that is throughout the creation of the direct to employer relationship with that TPA or with that network. What we make sure is we investigate all components of the premium dollar. What we've seen is exactly what you just articulated. The hospital 
will lean in with a reduced rate. However, somewhere in the premium buildup, the rate or the premium that goes back to the employer never materializes. And so what we do is we dissect from the pharmacy benefit to the physician benefit, to the hospital benefit, to the ancillary, to the lab. And we go through all those pieces. And then we begin to ask the relationship around the stop loss carriers. Are the, is there any kickbacks on the, on the stop loss? Are there kickbacks on the pharmacy? Because what we want to try to do is we want to put as much money back into that employer's hands so that they're, they're extremely supportive of this relationship. Then they're, when they're in their chamber discussions or in their, their business meetings inside their communities, they're talking about the great things that come from this relationship. I, it didn't materialize from that relationship. So those are things that you have to look at. It's a very detailed and complex um, design. However, having those kind of more stringent conversations at the beginning of the relationship really helps to reduce problems downstream in years to come. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think just building on that, Brad, it it aligns the incentives, right? So absolutely, you know what the cost targets are or, you know, what, what the actual cost is of providing the service as a healthcare provider you're able to take that to the employers and say, here's where you're, here's what's driving your costs, right? Whether it's Absolutely. say poor diabetic management or there's, you know, predominant uh, view of employees having high blood pressure, whatever the case may be, you have the ability to be able to manage that from a, from a chronic disease perspective, but you also have the ability to manage efficiency of utilization that oftentimes gets lost, but that's where the real value comes in, I would think. Absolutely. So an important part of these direct-to-employer relationships, obviously, is the employee, right? So the, the, the success really comes down to the comfort level of the employee, the ability of the employee to use um, the contracted network, your network. So as we begin to structure that maybe within the benefit plans, I would think that's got to be an important component. How have you worked with, say, the HR folks of of the employers to structure a benefit plan that creates the right alignment of incentives between the employee, the employer, you know, you as the provider? Anything that you can share in that regard? Kettering has historically allowed the TPAs and the networks to work with the employers in that design. Our contracts talk about what we would like to see from that, the type of steerage, the type of benefit design. But we have never been, I guess, in contact or direct contact with the HR departments. They okay. that, that has historically been between the network, the TPA, and the employer. Okay. So you've probably provided some components to it, but not necessarily have worked with the, with the HR folks or the benefit folks to really design what that benefit structure is for the, for the employees. We, we have requirements in our relationships with the TPAs right. and networks. We ask for our logo on the ID cards. We ask for differentiations in the benefit design and the tiering. However, we, we're not Ultimately, we're not paid to staff up to take those type of calls and and to be that intermediary. A lot of times the consultants or the brokers, uh, they're the ones that are uh, part of that relationship with the the HR departments and the the employers. 
Right. So they would manage it and oversee it. And I think just based on, like you said, your requirements, um, I think would be an important step just to just to make sure you're sort of closing the loop. Right. I mean, I think yes. that would be, be key. So, Brett, let me let me turn this over to you. You've got an interesting role. You work with many of the employers mm-hmm. on setting up different mm-hmm. types of, of programs. Mm-hmm. How with with some of the say the wellness programs that that you've structured, how has that linked in? with some of the direct to employer relationships that you have between your health system and with the employers? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you for asking. And that's part of what I was going to add on to what Brad said is that outside though of the contracts are, we do have teams who do work directly with the HR folks at different employers and they really take time to get to know them and what their culture is and what their needs are in terms of their health and wellness benefits. Um, to support whatever other initiatives they may have. So um, a lot of times, like when what, when you talk about what's driving costs, part of what Brad does is, is impacting costs. And then part of what our team does, we have teams who do biometric screenings. And it is interesting when you pause to think about like, oh, it's just a simple biometric screening. But how many people do go to their doctors every year and get get the information so that you know what your, what your BMI is, what your cholesterol is, what your blood pressure is. And the, the other part of that is when you get biometric screenings done, um, you get an aggregate report so that to your point earlier, what, what is driving costs outside of, of that, right. the utilization at the ED. So then you can really tailor costs. Say, you, say we find that there's a lot of high blood pressure. How do we work with that group to really design programs that are engaging and meeting people where they are. So I think there is that complementary approach, um, even if it's not directly a part of the, of the value-based contract, there, is, there are ways to support what that contract is trying to do from another perspective. Oh, but absolutely. It's still like, yeah, but we're focused really on, on, that, on that employee and that employee optimizing their health to thrive at work. Yeah, I, I and, absolutely and, agree with you. You know, so a lot of times within, and you know this within your within your network, as we think about the value of, of what clinically integrated networks, provider networks can provide, um, not only do they create efficiencies from the care that's being delivered to patients, but as they start to, to manage chronic diseases, and as they start to proactively manage certain health conditions of patients, there's a lot of value that comes out of that by future, by, by reducing future costs. But that concept around the value congruency, physicians are, as, are only as successful as the compliance and the relationship that they have with their patients. So I would think mm-hmm. in, in hearing you kind of talk about your program, you become that link between what the physicians provide, the chronic disease management mm-hmm. programs that they put in place, and then getting the, the, the employees to participate in those programs. That's that real value congruence. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I would agree with you. And we've got a really, we have a really wonderful example of that here in, in, with what you were saying, because there's a lot to care continuity, you alluded to it earlier, but when you have that whole care continuum 
under one network. It's not fragmented. You're not going here for one service and then to another place for another service. Like there is that whole continuity. We have um, an example. We have an on-site clinic with a local employer and we really hand select like the provider who's there based upon the culture. But because of that, there's a lot of trust. And I, I'm setting up the story because there's so much to that because then those employers, those employees, those associates who may not have been to a physician in the past, but because they've engendered this relationship with this person who's on site, they feel comfortable going. So they seek care earlier. They don't delay care. All of those things contribute to that value. But then when you add biometrics into it and have follow-up on site with that provider, that is another element. So you can really see how everything comes together and is linked and how that provider can then do warm handoffs if a specialty referral is needed. Because really what you're Thanks. what you're doing is is that provider and the employee are, are building a really strong relationship. And it's that relationship around not just providing the healthcare service, but it's really building the mm-hmm. trust, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's and we know that if someone <laughs> you're gonna you're likely like going to go see them. As I said earlier, if you trust that person, you're not going to delay your care. You're going to say, gosh, I have this. You may not have stopped though at an, uh, your physician office or an urgent care clinic, but you, but this person's right there, you know them, you feel comfortable with them. So that's where you start to see some of that, that value too, because you're catching something earlier. And um, there have been some really amazing success stories in this particular instance with catching, catching things early that, um, phenomenal. So it's, it takes that provider having that, that really amazing personality that fits right in with the culture. And and yeah, and that relationship, right? Building that relationship. As I hear both of you talk, it's, it just reinforces the fact with me that for a successful direct to employer relationship, contract, if you will, you need to have two pieces of this. You need to have the the contractual piece that really manages the, the the healthcare conditions, the issues related to you know the the employees in a way that is cost effective for the employer, but you also then have to have these wellness programs that really provide a strong complement to the healthcare service, but really builds that relationship and trust with the employee. Would you both agree? Yes, I, I would. And I think there's, there are a lot of opportunities to support this and a lot of different ways to support this too with, with wellness. And Brad, I'm sorry, if, I don't want to cut you off if you were about to speak, but I think right now we hear a lot and everyone's heard it across the country, emotional well-being. But I think when we pause and say, okay, how can we look at this? Because we know that everyone might not be on the same, there's a continuum of, of the needs for emotional health. We have there are some who definitely need to see a provider and have counseling. And then there are some who, who, who are at another stage and need, need another type of support, but how do we, and that's where I think when you, when you have an opportunity to talk with a health system or a healthcare provider, how do we help support that range? Because when we just say, yes, we have emotional well-being needs in the workplace, that is a very big topic. So how do you really break it down so you're really meeting individuals where they're needed? Because sometimes people, even having a health coach who uses 
motivational interviewing and really understand the person, you can really make great progress. And so um, when we think about different challenges with with providers in that area, behavioral health, I, I think it's helpful just to bring that up because there are a lot of different ways to approach it, that it's not just a provider, but it's utilizing creative programming to really support that, what, what right. the needs of the entire population are. Well, and you, and I think you're, you, you hit an interesting point there, Britt, because not only is that wellness program important to kind of address some of the, the chronic care needs of, of patients or employees, but you also want to touch on the behavioral health. And if you can combine that, Boy, what a value add. And at the end of the day, if you do it well, you're going to have happier employees. You're going to have mm-hmm. employees who are going to less take less time off. And for the employer's mm-hmm. perspective, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have healthier employees and mm-hmm. your lost work time hopefully goes down as well, which is an, was an additional add-on. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I fully agree. Well, I, I want to give you all an, an opportunity to sort of provide some, some insights or maybe some advice to our listeners. This has just been a, a, a great conversation. Brad, maybe we could start with you. Um, you know, for our listeners today, especially those that are, are thinking about developing a direct-to-employer relationship, you know, w- with their healthcare system and with their employers in, in the community, any pieces of advice you might want to provide our listeners today? Yeah, appreciate that. Um, it doesn't have to be as difficult as one may think. Um, and you don't have to go all in with one partner uh, one or one TPA or one network or build it on your own. There's ways to design it so that it's meeting the needs of employers through multiple facets. And that, that could be from delivering or, or offering this for a couple different services or a center of excellence or even a wellness program, all the way to a full replacement. So making it too complicated usually means you don't start and you don't initiate and you don't roll it out. Um, just get in there, understand your business, understand what you're good at, understand where you can provide that c- consistent cost and quality equation to an employer, um, and then roll it out. Uh, reach out to local brokers, reach out to your local uh, TPAs and networks, see if they're willing to create a relationship with you uh, to help drive business to your organization and share in that savings or share in that value equation with your employers and employers that may be listening. You don't necessarily have to take the full plunge with a full replacement exclusivity. You can go small and you can do individual services with the the local uh, physician organization or, or hospital system, you don't have to go all in with a full replacement. The full replacement might create the best value um, or might reduce the most cost at the end of the day, but that's still, there's still a progression to doing something like right. that. Well, and it's complicated to get to that point, right? It so, is. Yeah. So I, I love your advice. Start simple, start small, but you know, create something that's impactful. I think then you sort of can create some momentum on it on itself. That's that's great advice. Yes. Britt, anything you would add? Me? I, they, I will I will add. And I, I just have two different things that I would add. When we allude we talked a little bit earlier about being a valued and trusted partner. And I think anyone who's working with employers just really understand the whole environment and landscape of what employers are operating in right now. The discussions that we have now are very different than they were in 2019 
because things have evolved and you, you need to go in knowing what they're going through. So it's workforce challenges. If you don't have a workforce, you don't have a business. So it's really being sensitive to those topics, supply chain, inflation. It, it makes you a better partner when you understand what they're going through. Um, and then the second thing is really understanding how the evolving health, evolving healthcare consumerism, their health, health, what's happened in the past few years has also not only in healthcare, but what's happened with, with everything outside of healthcare has changed people's expectations for healthcare. So right. when you think yeah. of different organizations like Amazon and Uber and all those, all those other entities that have really evolved consumerism in general, I would just, I would just um, encourage us to be open to like, how do we help evolve the healthcare consumerism portion of that. Right. Well, to that has to be incorporated it. into the relationship, I would think, because as you said, and I think it's a great point, the needs and the wants of our healthcare consumer and our employees is different than it was a couple of years ago. So I think you have to include that in. And another point I fully agree is that you have to, as you're building a wellness relationship, you have to meet the employees on where they're at. You have to meet the company where they're at. And some of them mm -hmm. have different needs. So, boy, I, I absolutely agree. Well, I want to thank you both for this, this great discussion today and commend you on the programs you put in place. I can't help but think that the employers and particularly the employees and probably the beneficiaries have received just tremendous amount of value from the relationships that you've had. So again, want to thank you both for joining us today. Um, really appreciate the time and, and love the conversation. We thank you very much too. Thank you for providing this opportunity and for all the great work you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to be on this today. So, so in closing, I, I think a couple of things that really resonated with me as, as we were talking to Brad and, and Brett. Um, one, I think there is such an opportunity to develop a direct-to-employer relationship between a provider, healthcare provider, and an employer in a way that you really can reduce that cost as long as it's focused. And I love Brad's point that you don't have to boil the ocean, right? It doesn't have to be this, this large, complicated arrangement. It could be simple. It could be small. And if it's impactful, boy, that's going to create a lot of value. And I, and I think the second point that I, that I really appreciated hearing was through a strong direct-to-employer relationship, you can create this value congruency. So as the, as the healthcare network starts to reduce cost, you're assured that that cost then is translated back to the employer and to the community in the way of, of lower premiums. And, and reducing the over, overall cost to care. And then third, wellness is, is a big part of this. And as we are structuring these wellness programs, it's a great opportunity to further foster that relationship between the employee and the provider. But more importantly, it's a real opportunity to meet the employers and, and really their employees meet their needs really where they're at. And especially as we've seen things change, whether it's with behavioral health or it's still managing of chronic diseases, or maybe it's, you know, some other back to work programs, meeting the employer and the employee specifically where they are creates just a tremendous amount of value. So again, I want to thank 
Brad Olson and Britt Bart for their time today. Wonderful discussion. And until next time, I'm Daniel Marino. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights Podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care, and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with some of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.